I want to welcome you again to Touch Heaven Canfield Church, those who are here, those watching online, those in the back. Uh, thank you for bringing us into your home or wherever you're at this morning. Those who are uh, attend here, your members, we miss you and we understand, but I'm glad you're plugged in. And uh, those who are with part of our family, wherever you're at, God bless you. God bless you in Africa. God bless you in India. God bless you in Haiti. God bless you in Australia. God bless you in Europe, uh, in Germany. Thank you. I appreciated hearing from you. And um, those of you who, uh, who stay in touch with us, it means a lot, and we do appreciate that. We've been praying, so I think we're covered now for the Word of God. And we began a series on the mystery of the seven angels and the seven stars. And of course, we discussed uh, last week and the week before that that comes to us out of the book of Revelation in John where uh, he tells us this is a mystery. And the words, these are the words of Christ to him and he says, write down uh, this mystery. And one, thing's about, one thing about the mysteries of God um, in my experience, they continue to reveal. It's never just a finished product. You see, um, I just heard a, a person say recently, uh, she was considering the word of the Lord, and she realized that there was meaning and intent in every word, in every placement of the word, in every positioning of the word of God. And we know that, but do we know that? Do we accept that? Do we accept the fact that every little word of the Lord is alive and that it's meant to trigger something inside of us and to open up our spirits and our minds and our hearts? And we need, it's as if um, we have to decode something. And the way we decode that is the Holy Spirit working inside of us. And the Holy Spirit reveals these truths of God to us. And the Holy Spirit um, gives us the code of heaven to understand the truths of God. And in that instance, we also understand that He brings to light to us uh, the spirit of that word to us. And, you know, the application of the word for us is maybe not the same in every instance, and in my life, and I'm sure in yours as well, that the way that you have interpreted the Word and received the Word, but more so understand the Word, has transformed as you've grown in the Lord and as you've experienced more. Um, for example, when uh, the Lord, uh, when I found Christ, and, uh, and He was merciful enough to wait on me, the, uh, one of the words that jumped out on me, because I had to walk away from everybody and everything, and uh, the discrimination and the persecution was uh, unbearable to a point that I didn't understand it, I didn't expect it. And uh, the one word that dropped out to me then was the word from Christ that said, if you're willing to leave house, mother, father, children, all the things of your life for the sake of my gospel. He said, I will bless you if you have to 100 times more in this life and the one to come. Well, what do you think I grabbed onto? I grabbed onto the 100 times more in this life. And uh, it's because 
I, I needed some blessings. Things weren't going very well at all. In fact, it went from bad to worse to where I thought it couldn't get any worse. And, uh, but today, at this time in my life, I'm not so interested um, and I'm not concerned about the things of this life as much as I am the hundredfold more in the one to come. I think something happens when you cross that span of life and you have more years behind you than you anticipate in front of you. You begin to put your values completely different. And I believe as the body of Christ, after six millenniums, 6,000 years of bondage, 6,000 years of disappointments, 6,000 years of rebellion to God where sin is abounded, 6,000 years where creation has been crying out and moaning for the adoption and for the manifestation of the sons of God, as it says in Romans 8 uh, through 13 through 23. In those, in those 6,000 years, I believe we've crossed over to a point and it wasn't too long ago that I shared that I felt we were at a crossroads, and we talked about the crossroads. In which way shall we go? Well, it was a personal crossroads for all of us, because God makes sure that He's a personal God. He's not just a, a God that, that moves with tribes, but He also moves with the persons inside the tribes. And in the body of Christ, we're at that juncture. We're at that juncture where the past six thousand years are coming to a crescendo. And the leakage of what's coming with the coming of Christ is starting to drip upon the earth and upon the body of Christ. And we're in that transition age. And I can only liken it as I've had before to you. It's as if it was when you had the law and the prophets and all those years, those 4,000 years, almost 4,000 years from when we understand the, what we know as the beginning of time and earth. And we understand Abraham called out, and Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac, and the Noahic flood, and then we had judges, and we had Job, and we had all the major prophets and the minor prophets, and the prophecies of what was coming and what was going to be, and how God was going to call out His people and bless and also judge, all of those things culminated up to a moment in time, a real moment in time, where all of that, 4,000 years of anticipation and, and wandering and, and, and people denying the Word of God or, or, or failing to hold on to the Word of God and prophets crying out into the wind and wondering sometimes whether they heard from God or didn't hear from God and waiting and waiting and persecutions and the diaspora where the Jews were scattered and taken into captivity and all of the events that we know are true up to one moment, it all culminated. It came to, if you will, an apogee. It became a fulcrum on what became the teeter-totter of the coming of the Lord the first time. And you had John, and it was interesting that John came from the same bloodline as Christ. It wasn't so much a paternal bloodline as it was a familial, a generational bloodline, and he came from that same family 
And he wasn't sure of the time he was in, but he was committed to the time he was in. Listen to that a moment. Not so sure about the time he was in, but absolutely committed and separated to the time that he was in. And blindly, most of the time, he just served God with what he was told to do. Much to his chagrin, not many voices listened until the time heightened up. We don't know much about John's history until we get to that point that he's baptizing people in the Jordan and crying out for them to repent. And by that he meant not so much just repent of sins, but to change. To change from what? To change from the patterns of the religion of the day or the patterns of indifference of the day. It was a wake-up call that something was about to happen and he was utilizing that which he knew, which was a mitzvah of immersion in water. We call it the baptism. And that mitzvah wasn't invented by Christians. That mitzvah was something carried forth in the Judaic tradition because of the law of Deuteronomy and others. But it transformed, and that's my point. It became something bigger and greater than it was heretofore. It didn't cancel it. It was able to build upon it. And with that, we understand that John, for whatever period of time, he was in the wilderness preparing people for what? For the coming of the Lord. And he didn't understand actually when and how. He didn't know how long he would be there. His ministry was really picking up and he was getting a lot of people irked in the religious norm because they were comparing this rough-shawn guy who rumor had told them put no real food in his belly. He lived off of honey and bugs. No wine ever came into the blood of that Nazarene. His father was a priest. He had no wife, no children. He was just separated unto God out in the wilderness. And God began to move in that wilderness and the Spirit of God began to fall upon people. And they would do a mitzvah, a different one than what he had, and they would come and he and his disciples would baptize them in the waters, hold them down and bring them up. And something will begin to activate inside of them. Now, we know that they weren't getting filled with the Holy Spirit because only Christ that we know walked in the fullness of the Spirit. The Spirit would come upon those He would in times through the prophets and through the words they would utter. But not until Christ rose from the dead and sent the Comforter was the Holy Spirit available for all with abundance at all times. But I can only imagine that at that moment when somebody would fall into the hands of the anointing of God working through a rough shone man in the wilderness, that the Spirit would come upon them and they would begin to sense and feel from the inside out an excitement and a change. And then we know what the culmination of that was. Christ himself showed up at the river. 
And John knew immediately, he said, this is the one, I'm not even worthy to latch your shoes. You baptize me. John eventually got baptized in his own blood and sent up with a martyr's reunion to heaven where then he understood it all. And Christ said, no, we must fulfill that which has been called you baptize me. And so we know he was the first, not only the first that was baptized to begin what was called our church, our ecclesia, the body of Christ, but also the first born again and resurrected from hell. Born again of the Spirit and of the blood and of the water, Jesus Christ. And so here we sit at this time. And I can anticipate that for those 4,000 years from when Adam and Eve ran afoul that there were angels wondering in heaven, how is the Father going to get us all out of this mess? They realized He would. I'm sure they had no doubt that He had a plan. And they listened to the words that it says many angels brought these prophets. We would assume they understood the whole plan, but they did not. <coughs> Only the Lord did. They were messengers. And they would bring the word to whom they would bring the word to, and people would give it out of obedience without a clear understanding. Because the seven spirits of man weren't really being fulfilled yet by the Holy Spirit. We'll talk about that a moment in the earth. And so we hit that point, a crossover, a crossroads. The law and the prophets, then came John, and John was there for a short interruption, a little blurp, carrying the baton from the law and the prophets and handing it over to Jesus Christ. And the kingdom came on earth. And we entered into what we have called now, theologically, and we understand as the age of the church, the church age. From the law and the prophets to the age of the church. But the age of the church has a fuse on it. And the fuse was really long, but the fuse is getting shorter and shorter and shorter. And now there's a people being called into the wilderness. Into the wilderness of anticipation and excitement to come out of that which has become too religious. To come out of that which has become too much ritual. To come out of that which is bound in too much tradition to come out of what we learned and thought were the truths. And yes, they are, but they're not all the truth. It's building and building. And that's why we build on this firm foundation, always looking for the fresh revelation of God. And the fresh revelation is pouring out and some people stop their ears. We discussed how the the Word of God says to those who have ears, let them hear out of revelation. And Christ Himself said, for those who have ears, let them hear. And those who have eyes, let them see. When we pray for our relationship with God, we would do well to ask Him to open our ears and our eyes. To not only see the truths of God and those that are changing and moving, but to hear them and 
understand them. How many of you know that we're called to be the light of the world? Could we put up Isaiah 60, verse 1 through 3 for a moment? As we ponder it, I want you to to consider this, that the light symbolically is about being able to understand. It's not just about being able to see. It's about being able to understand. And look what the Lord says. Now remember, we started off this series by saying in Revelation, the time is at hand. Now he wrote that, John did, on the island, exiled, likely over 2,000 years ago. Maybe a little less, not much, 50 years less or so, maybe. But he wrote it because God isn't bound in time, and the Lord gave him that word. And even though he said the time was at hand, it was at hand, but it was at hand to be released at a certain moment here in the earth, but it was at hand in eternity. And I believe with all my heart that that day of the Lord is being released in the earth right now. Notice he doesn't say the night of the Lord because the night has no light. The night you have to seek and look and to find flickers of light and hopefully if you're not living in Youngstown, Ohio, you get a bright moon to look at. But if you're here, you don't get too many bright nights. You're not going to have your path lit in the dark. It's the day of the Lord. And this is the clarion call that comes out of Isaiah the prophet, who's that whole book is a study of prophecy that's come true, is coming true, and is coming true again, and is building and developing. And what does the Lord say to us? Rest, go to sleep, hide under your blankets. There's a fierce day coming. Judgment is going to pour out on the earth. You're not going to make it. It's going to be so bad that the only thing you should believe is that somehow a magic wand is going to wave and you're going to snatch away from the earth and leave all those other poor suckers to go through hell on earth. That's what we've been told to believe, but it's a lie. Because, you see, we think of judgment like it's all bad. We think judgment is all about God punishing, but it's not. I'll give you scripture after scripture that says that he will rule with justice and righteousness in judgment. Without God ruling with justice and judgment, there is no righteousness. What better example do we have that he judged his own son's sin? That we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. So judgment is the pressure cooker that brings the righteousness. But it doesn't mean that the righteous have to be afraid of judgment. Those who know their God in that great, notice it says great and terrible day. In one end it's terrible, on the other end it's great. You know why? Because it has two different manifestations for two types of people. One for the righteous in Christ and one for the heathen. One for the one who's obedient to God 
and one for the rebellious. One for the sheep and one for the goats. Would not be a good time to be a goat. It's time to turn in your goat ship if you're a goat and ask to receive the certification of a sheep. And they are different, aren't they? They don't come from the same genus. We've talked about that. They're not even physically the same. God made the difference so that we could see it as we get so bright in understanding genetic makeup and everything else. 54 chromosomes a sheep, 60 chromosomes a goat. 54 plus 6? The number of flesh makes a goat. And if a goat and a sheep end up mating, you get a stillborn. And that might explain to us why we have a diseased ecclesia today. A lot of stillborn goats and sheep, I don't know what you call them, hybrids that are thinking they're alive, but they're dead. And it's because of how they've been mated. Let's go back with Isaiah 60. I know I... Arise and shine is the Spirit of the Lord crying out, for your light is come. For your light... Say it. For your... Whose light? Your light. The light of the earth. The light of the people of God. Your light has come. He's not talking just prophetic about Christ coming again. He's talking about the manifestations of the sons of God that Paul spoke about in Romans that all creation is groaning and moaning for this manifestation of the sons of God. Yes, being born again, but more so now, having the abundance of the light of Christ to walk in a power unseen like anything heretofore on earth before. Do you know why? Because we're told... It even told us in the book of Jude, and it said that Enoch had said that the Lord would come with tens of thousands of his saints to judge the world in righteousness. We are the ones created that are supposed to be able to discern and judge in righteousness today. That's why we can't be moved and swayed by those and even ourselves that get caught up with the exuberance of man and understand that the obedience of God must be first and foremost. If we allow ourselves to get pulled across that line, will we make it back? And if we do, what is the price? What is the price? How hard is it to break the chains of bondage that we chain ourselves to because we're caught up in passions and movements and things that really are not preparing the way for the coming of the Lord. In fact, maybe working against it. When we attach the name of Christ to things that really aren't what we're supposed to be attaching them to. Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Now you know why I know that's a good thing? Because whenever the glory falls upon somebody or something that is not cleansed and prepared to receive the glory, the glory destroys it or them. 
God says, I will not give my glory to another. No one else can touch my glory. But those vessels, and then we just studied for weeks that God takes the broken pieces and He puts them back into earthen vessels, treasures that are filled with His glory. We are broken vessels that God has repaired and put back together to be instruments of His glory. Rise and shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord is rising upon you. It's like, if you will, the billows of a sail. The air is coming and the sails are starting to flow out. There's some wind that's seeping out from somewhere. I'm going to show you where. Can you feel it? Can you feel the vibrations of heaven beginning to resonate inside of you? Are you getting excited? Are you wondering, what can I do? What should I go? What, 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 what's going on? Well, that's not a bad thing. The issue is to settle in and to receive it. And the issue is, is to move with it. Don't worry about him and what they're talking about. It's not issue. It's not important. Listen to me. Look at me. The winds of heaven are blowing. We need to be those who feel it, who see it, and receive it. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Next. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth. Darkness is going to cover the earth, but that darkness is not going to consume you. Listen again. That darkness is not going to consume you. You are the light in the darkness. You've been assigned a position to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. And because you are the light of the Lord, not only will it not consume you, but you shall overcome it. We'll get into that next week as we go into the churches, the seven churches, the seven angels and the seven stars. And it's all about overcomers. Each one is about overcoming. Which means God wouldn't tell you these are those who have overcome. Because He already knows unless you could overcome. You're the light. The darkness shall cover the earth. And deep darkness, deep darkness. The people. You are not the people of the darkness. It's not a darkness that can measure and touch you. Because you're the light. But the Lord, He will arise over you. And His glory shall be seen upon you. Who sees it? Well, first of all, He does. Secondly, the whole spiritual world sees it. That of the light and that of the darkness. Your glory cannot be put under a bushel. You are lit up in the Holy Spirit of God. You can fan the fires or you can just keep them down a little bit, but God cries out from the mystery of the spirit of the churches. He says, I want you hot, not lukewarm. I'll deal with the ones who are cold. Don't worry about them. You move from lukewarm to hot. God will deal with the cold.
Now, let me give you a glimpse, a prophetic glimpse. I had a very interesting meeting. Laura Lee and I did. Uh, it was a quick one. <laughs> we went to Tampa. We got moving at 4.30 in the morning on Friday, and we were back at 9 o'clock Friday night in Akron and out of Akron and back. But I was very glad we went. And I got a very good eye-opener. And do you know that what is being craved the most right now in Christian network outreach, like television and that, do you know what's being craved the most right now? Sound Bible teaching. People are getting tired of the itchy ear stuff. And the highest ratings and the most number of households are people that give Bible teaching. I'm not going to tell you his name, but there's a guy, he's got one camera. I don't even think it's HD. He's on a farm in Oklahoma. I think he owns an oil well and cattle. Mostly pays for it himself. He teaches with a board behind him with a crayon. He's got one of the highest ratings in network television right now. That's all he does. Because there's a hunger for the Word of God, the real Word of God, the unadulterated Word of God. People are tired of formulas, but some are still searching for them. Some are still running here and fro and to and there trying to find that pasture, that not pastor, pasture, that feeds them what they want for the moment. But then they find out after a while it doesn't satisfy the appetite all the way. And there's hunger for more. And do you know what else? When the Bible teaching deals with the prophetic also, people get excited. Now, that's good and that's bad. It's good because that's the time we live in and our spirits are getting excited and agitated to respond to the prophetic word of God like nowhere before because he's moving and releasing and it's bad because there are many who teach the wrong things or take people the wrong paths and respond to that inkling that's inside but as he said in Ezekiel they're feeding themselves of the food of the sheep Ezekiel 34 and it's, a lot of it is drawn by what? Social media. How many people are on your Facebook? How many YouTube hits do you have? How many this? How many that? And, and as you do, so goes your sphere of influence. And so goes your sphere of influence. So you continue to feed it because if you don't, it doesn't perpetuate. And it's a competition. But the Lord's not in the competition. No more than he was with Elijah in the crashing winds. No more he was in the things that Elijah looked for, for an answer from. He was in the still small voice. That still small voice. Intimacy with God. Purity with God. Truth the psalmist says, is the shield of God, truth. So if we receive something that's baked with some goat meat with the sheep, 
What happens to the truth? The truth becomes spotted and diseased. And we eat it. And our souls become spotted and diseased. Here's where we sit today. I believe this with all my heart. Revelation chapter 7. Verses 1 through 3. And after these things, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree. Next verse. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God, and he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea. And he was saying, do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their four hands. There's a process going on in the earth right now in the people of God. And Ezekiel is crying out with his words from Ezekiel 34 that he's separating the sheep from the goats. And Christ is crying out from Matthew 25. And it wasn't just a parable. It was really understanding prophetically that there's a process and a time to separate the sheep and the goats. And that separation is going on to a point where those who are part of the remnant the remnant is here to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord and to overcome that remnant is being sealed. Let it soak in. That remnant is being sealed. If we want to get theological, we could call it sanctification. <laughs> the problem with that is, is that there are a lot of people sanctified who aren't sealed who still have some goat. Still like itchy ears too much. Pursuing truth from wherever it might come from, whether it's truth or not. So the four angels are standing there, and if we gaze down through the eyes, the rose-colored eyes, of the Spirit, what do we see? What if we're in a heavenly place and somehow there's a portal and we're looking down? Now remember it says that angels are standing on the four corners of the earth. They're not in the four corners of heaven. Four is a number that typically responds to the earth, to the world, to the whole world. They're on the four corners of the earth. And these Four spirits, they have a special command from God, and that's to keep watch, eternal watch, at the four gates of the earth. And they're very vigilant. They're sentinels. And what do they do? 
They're the ones who strive with the winds that come from the breath of God to release upon the earth at this moment in this time. And so, if you will, as you close your eyes, you might see them holding on to onto the sails that are holding back the winds and they're struggling and pulling and the winds are blowing and once in a while a trickle comes through and righteousness is ministered in judgment. And the words of Daniel come forth, the great people of understanding will fall in that day, in that day that they might be purged and made clean and white again. And there they are, those sentinels. From the north, the south, the east, the west. And each one of those winds has a a certain nomenclature that goes with it. I don't have enough time to teach it all. But the east is the wind of judgment. It says that when that cyclone hit with Paul, that wind came out of the east. And in Israel, as they would stay there, The winds would come out of the east and destroy crops and pollute water. But out of the west would come restoration. There's four, four if you will, sails being held back of the winds. The east with the judgment and destruction. The west with restoration. And isn't it interesting that the power to fill the sails came out of the north? And when it was time to destroy the prophets of Baal, it came out of the north. Power comes from the north. But out of the south comes a calm. Four winds, four angels being released upon the earth. And they're holding them back. They're holding them back. The mystery of the seven stars and the angels holding them back but some is trickling through another thing about the wind we only know that there is wind because it moves something (laughs) if it didn't move we wouldn't know what it was wind is made to move can you imagine if you had a little sailboat and your sail was really small and a hundred mile an hour wind came and what do you think would happen with that sail? It would snap and you'd go underneath. Sometimes we need time to adjust our sails to be able to handle a greater wind. I know from my pilot days that The first airplane I ever had was a really small single-engine Cessna with fixed gear, and I took it out for my first cross-country, my first one really alone, and and I I went down the freeway because we weren't allowed to use instruments. We had to find our way there and back, and it was a, to me, it was a long trip. It was, I was, I only had 15 hours of flying time, I think, at the time. I left Salem for Toledo Metcalf Airport. So I followed the freeway. I followed the freeway. Very strange. The wind was very high that day. And the cars on the freeway were going much faster than I was. But coming back, whoo, I had a ride. 
the wind from the east and the wind from the west, the wind from the north and the wind from the south. So God is preparing us. He's doing a work in us for the stronger wind. So that when the wind is released from the east, we will stand against it. We will put our faces like flint towards Jerusalem, the word says, and we won't be moved. And when the wind comes from the west, we'll have a time of refreshing. But in order to be refreshed, we must enter into the rest. If we resist and want to stand in warfare all the time, guess what? You'll wear down. Yes, we're warriors, but we're not only warriors. We're also worshipers and watchmen. And we're children of God. And then when the wind from the south comes, we can rest. And when we need the power, the wind blows from the north. Other thing about the wind, it's the same word for the Holy Spirit in all three translations, Hebrew, Greek, and even into the Aramaic. It's been protected. God speaks from his mouth that his breath is like a wind. So what's filling the sails of those winds that the angels are holding back? It's not other angels with big fans. It's the breath of God. It's the same thing that blew over the stillness of the void of the earth in Genesis and out of it came life. God is blowing ever so gently and the angels are told, hold it. And I'm sure they're saying, Lord, this is a relentless sentinel job you've given me. I've been holding these things for a couple thousand years ever since you told John about it. And the Lord winks and smiles and says, well done, keep doing it. And what's our prayer? Come quickly, Lord Jesus, but maybe not too quick. Have mercy and grace to let us get a little better, a little more prepared for ears to open, for eyes to see, for sheep to come out, for goats to be displaced, for shepherds to preach truth. That's it for today. Next week, if the Lord allows, we'll move on in this mystery. I believe it's going to bless you, especially as we assess what is he speaking to the seven churches. Notice I didn't say, what did he say? What is he speaking? What's the hybrid church receiving today? What's God saying? What's the message to you and I in that? And what is the message we're supposed to give? You see, there comes a point that we become ministers of the judgment of God. And that's trickling down too. He's preparing us. He said, we will judge the saints with him. He said, we will judge the angels with him. Enoch said, tens of thousands of saints will come with him to judge the earth in righteousness. So he's preparing us. Beloved, 
kings and politicians here on the earth aren't going to be able to judge the righteousness of God. It's the saints of God. It's you. And it's you. And it's you and it's you. And people will hear the truth because that truth will set them free. Itchy ears aren't going to be satisfied. Showmanship isn't going to work. Motivational preaching isn't going to stick. Solid, firm truth in the power of God. Confident of who we are. Knowing that we've been made for such a time as this. The time is at hand. This is our time. And yes, we'll continue to grow and get stronger. As it says, transforming from a glory, and I like that one interpretation that says, to an ever-increasing glory. Arise, shine. The glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. Do what you can do with what you have to do with. That's our message. We could run all over the world trying to find something to do. Do what you can do with what you have to do with. God will take care of the rest. And if all of us, that remnant that's growing, does what we can do, we'll be unstoppable. We'll see the awakening that some are calling for, but I don't believe it's going to be like days of old. I think it's coming from the inside. And I think it's sheep breaking those bonds of corruption of the chains that have been put upon us. Saying no more. No more. I'm free. I'm free. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this word. Let it resonate and stick to our bones. Let it cling to the meat of our maturity. Let us, Father, be those that resonate with excitement in the vibration of heaven. Let us be those, Lord, who understand with knowledge the time that we live in. Let us move with the spirits of understanding that you spoke out and cried upon us. Let us be those, Father, who walk in truth and in wisdom and in power in integrity and humility. Let us be those, Lord, who will not settle for less than the truth and purity of God. Let us protect your Spirit inside of us. And Holy Spirit, you protect us. And in all things, Father, be glorified. Awaken up the sleeping church, Lord God. And Father, transform. Transform, short. Lord, the part of our church, the part of the ecclesia of the body of Christ that is about its own ambitions, its own agendas, its own future. Oh, Lord, speak to those pastors who are planning for 50 years from now. Speak to those pastors who are even planning for 10 years from now. Dare we say one year, Lord? Two years? Three? Five? Dare we say, Lord, let us worry about what's today and do our best with it. You'll take care tomorrow.
and you'll direct our steps perfectly. Be blessed, O Lord. Be glorified, O God. And thank you, Father, that you've chosen us to live at this time here on this earth. And angels, as the Lord will allow and direct, keep holding back that wind till the time it's to be released. In Jesus' name, amen.